the Sunday Night Health Show podcast. Tonight on the program, Dr. Jason Kinderchuk explains why you should not trade in your mask for a COVID infection and what Deltacron is. Have you wondered how those masks are helping? Well, Dr. Brian Conway shares this year's flu data. Trying to get over someone is hard, but did you know that broken heart syndrome is a thing? Dr. June Hall explains. Plus, is it too good to be true? It just might be. We talk love bombing. The Sunday Night Health Show podcast starts now. And now, Maureen's Health Headline. You have heard his voice before. He is none other than Dr. Jason Kinderchuk, and he is going to explain. He's our resident epidemiologist and scientist. Uh, he is an assistant professor in medical microbiology and infectious diseases at the University of Manitoba, and he's here to tell us about Delta Cron. Good evening, Dr. Kinderchuk. Good evening, Maureen. Week to week, we think <laughs> things won't change. <laughs> And then there you go. There's just another variant on the list. Uh, there's been lots of talk about Deltacron this week. Can you explain to the listeners what this is and need we worry? <laughs> That's a good question. Uh, you know, listen, I, first of all, I'm just going to say that uh, I'm, I'm still recovering. We, we've got a, a new uh, nine-week-old puppy in the household added to our 18-month-old <laughs> puppy. So it's been, uh, it's, 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 I saw a, that on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't sure. Yeah. I thought, surely this is a mistake. <laughs> no, no, we, we, you know, why not? Right. <laughs> exactly. Oh yes. Um, yeah, let's get another so, puppy. Let's, <laughs> exactly. Well, let's, let's, let's talk COVID. I, so Deltacron, um, listen, here's, here's where we are, right? So we, we've heard about this a little bit beforehand there. There was some concern uh, about a, a potential recombinant um, that there was, uh, you know, that there was always the issue of whether or not we were actually seeing um, actually some, some issues with sequencing and, and uh, contaminants in sequencing. Well, now it looks like there, there may actually be uh, a recombinant. And, and we know that, that coronaviruses can do this. They can recombine uh, and, and basically cross over pieces of, the, of their genome with each other. So if you have different variants, you, you can get some, some switching and swapping that goes on. Um, the, the big thing with this is, is right now, listen, we're, we're in basically a watch and, and wait mode, right? So uh, the thing we have to appreciate, and this goes back, I, I always kind of joke about Ebola pox. A long time ago, there was this discussion about whether or not people were looking at trying to make bioweapons out of combining portions of Ebola and portions of smallpox. And it, it sounds really bad, but let's, let's be very, very upfront and say, Listen, viruses are very good at what they do because the machinery that they have is, is, is very unique to those particular viruses. Um, and they're often very specific. So you can't just swap things out. And this is the, the position even with variants is that when you look at Delta and you look at Omicron, um, yes, there are, there are functions and behaviors of both of these two variants that, that are very concerning. But when you look at the potential for swapping portions of this out because of the number of mutations that occur in both Delta and then as well in, in Omicron. When you look at, at swapping any parts of the spike protein out or, or piece of the genome, you actually get into this position of saying, well, how much could you actually change uh, between these two or swap between these two without actually losing a lot of the functionality that goes into making Delta so good. It makes Omicron so good at transmitting. Um, and that's what we're looking at right now is that, you know, yeah, there's, you know, we, we want to watch and, and be very mindful of, of what this might be. But, um, 
right now, there doesn't seem to be any any concern linked with this. And I think we get back to this issue of saying, okay, this is something we're watching, but let's watch what what we're facing right now. Omicron is still uh, still on the on the rise in many places. We're watching Denmark very very carefully right now as as we start looking at, at loosening restrictions across Canada. Um, we've got to be very mindful of what is going on with that particular variant. And people are really fed up. And, and there seems to be at least there's a bit of a battle on Twitter anyway between truckers and politicians who are kind of on the same side, if you looked at it um, through a different lens, versus the scientists and doctors who are on another side. A lot of physicians in particular are saying, do not trade your mask in just yet for an infection. Uh, a lot of people are feeling that the mask mandate should not be lifted at this time, and yet people are tired of it. I was speaking to somebody in, in a public place six feet away, both of us masked, but this person was saying, um, he didn't have any children, <laughs> but he was saying, mm-hmm. if I had kids, I feel so sorry for the kids, he said. you know, I said, well, the parents are actually complaining more than the kids are complaining. You know, Kids are pretty resilient. And um, and he said, well, if I had kids, I'd be really upset for them for their growth and development. And you know, I, I actually think it, it builds a little bit of a little adversity, builds a little resi- uh, resilience in kids. And um, you know, with all the snowflake children we're raising <laughs> these days, um, you know, n- nothing wrong with toughening them up just a little bit. But but back to the point is that people are just tired; they're just fed up. Yeah. You know. Can we, um, you know, what what is really the best route forward? I'll, I'll be honest. I will continue to wear my KN95 mask. I don't want to get Omicron, Deltacron, Delta. I don't want to get COVID. Yeah, you know, I, I put out a thread this morning about uh, about where we are. So first of all, the one thing I want to say is I think we're all actually in the same position. We, we are tired of this, certainly from the biomedical research community side of this. I, we're, we're tired. I'm tired. I'm tired of talking about COVID. I, I, you know, I have Ebola work that I want to be doing and, and focusing on. I have grad students that have other projects that, that have been really sidelined because of COVID. Um, th- this is a tough business. Um, the thing that we have to appreciate is that, listen, in, in two years, there, there's been a lot of discussion about, well, why, why are we where we're at two years later? Well, if we look at this and we look at what we've faced over the last two years, um, trying to figure out where this new virus came from, where it's moving into different species, what it's doing in regards to, uh, to how it infects people, what clinical disease looks like. And then we start adding in all the different variants that we've seen. And each time a new variant comes up, we have to go through all the same activities all over again to basically figure out, okay, what are we dealing with? How do we treat this? What does it look like clinically? Um, this is why two years later, we are still struggling because the virus has continued to change. Um, our behaviors uh, right now have to continue to adapt and be fluid with the virus. So we're, we're at a dangerous place because when you look at, certainly when you look at Omicron, we're not at a place where, listen, infections are down a baseline, hospitalizations are down a baseline. We're back at, at, at square one. We're not there. So we get into this question of saying, okay, we need to be able to give some some levity to people in regards to to taking away uh, some of the restrictions. But how much of these restrictions can we take away without adding enough oxygen to Omicron that we start seeing spread? And then, of course, we have to appreciate in the background of this, our testing capacity 
has also gone down substantially. Certainly here in Manitoba, we are no longer doing um, a, a lot of uh, open testing. It's, it's very, very specific requirements to get tested. So if your ability to trace where infections now are reduced in the community and you're removing restrictions, well, what is your threshold for saying, oh, things actually are going in the wrong direction? We don't have those same safeguards. And that's where the struggle comes in of saying, how much are we willing to change from a behavior standpoint um, to, to be able to adapt to this? And I think you, you bring up a good point. I, listen, I'm still going to be using a mask. We're probably at, at the university, we'll be using masks uh, for, for definitely for the rest of the term. Um, we, we need to be mindful that we're not out of this yet. And I think that's the thing is that, yeah, we're tired of it. Um, but man, if we give the virus any room, it, it, it will exploit anything we give at this point. We don't want to have full restrictions, but we can't give up everything. Dr. Jason Kindrichuk is my guest. Uh, Dr. Kindrichuk, we have a, a few callers on the line. Uh, first of all, we have Will in Calgary, Alberta. Hello, Will. Oh, hi. How are you doing? Good. How are you? Pretty good. Good. You have a question? Oh, sure. Uh, yeah. Well, you were asking uh, about people who don't believe that there's a virus or whatever. I- I'm not really in that camp. I know that there's like people out there that say that it has never been isolated, and that's a really big problem for them. I'm pretty sure there's something out there that's getting people sick. But I'm pretty sure it has more to do with something that was created in a lab. And uh, not that I really want to talk about that, but uh, I just wanted to ask the doctor if he had a chance to do everything all over again, you know, based on everything we know now, you know, uh, all the things we've done to try to stop this thing. And it's still, like you just said, we're back at square one again. If he ever thinks that maybe we should never have done anything and just let everybody get sick, considering the population of Canada has grown over the last five years that just came out that you can't really even tell that there was even a pandemic. So, so do you, do you, you're asking the doctor if he would have done anything differently? Dr. Kinderchuk? Well, yeah, I just mean, considering all the things that have ruined society that they've done, all the vaccines, all the rules and restrictions and things that have destroyed people's lives and businesses and caused all these suicides, I mean, wouldn't it have been better not to do anything and just dealt with the virus, let our immune systems deal with the virus? It's a great That's question, Will. Ask. Dr. Kinderchuk, thank you. <laughs> uh, well, listen, I, we... we Certainly, uh, if we want to look at what, you know, what, what has happened, um, there's 5.6 million or more than 5.6 million lives that have been lost to this virus. So I would say letting it run rampant is what we did in 1918 because we didn't have the ability to provide supportive care, to vaccinate people, to provide up-to-date information on how, uh, you know, how the virus is behaving. Um, so I, I guess I, I'm befuddled by the question of, well, our immune system would just handle it. Our, whose immune system? Is it people that have uh, a higher risk of severe disease because they have borne the brunt of this virus? We've also seen with certainly Delta as well as even with Alpha that younger populations, if you put them in the way of this, you will still have high morbidity. Now, if we're talking about mortality, yes, we may not see high masses of death in younger populations, 
But we can't focus just on mortality. If we look at morbidity, we look at the, the strain on the healthcare system, we look at the strain on people's lives who now have long-term uh, symptoms and, uh, and ailments from dealing with this disease, uh, the cost of this virus from a public health standpoint is unbelievable. So that I get riled up when I hear, should we have just let this run rampant? Um, we dealt with viruses in the past when we didn't have any protective measures. Um, we don't have a choice but to try to battle this. If you look at the number of things that we face on a daily basis, uh, we will never beat all the viruses and all the infectious diseases we face. Our best hope is to create a stalemate because that is the onslaught that we deal with each and every day. What is up with the flu this year? Well, joining me on the line once again is infectious disease specialist, Dr. Brian Conway. Good evening, Dr. Conway. Good evening. How are you? I'm well. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. So I, we talked about this last year, uh, and uh, we're kind of at the midpoint of, of the influenza season in Canada. So where are we at this year? Well, the vaccination rates have been lower than uh, what we would have liked, but uh, some of us had predicted that there'd be a significant number of cases of influenza, perhaps more than uh, in a usual year, and that hasn't materialized either. But there is still time for a second wave sometime uh, in March. So we got lucky. We got away with not getting as many people vaccinated as we would have liked. There's still time to catch up, and I think we should do so. So why do you think people decided not to get their flu shot this year? Well, I'm not sure we had enough of a, of a, of a concerted campaign to, uh, to sort of uh, get, uh, get the flu shot out there. And uh, we all got preoccupied, obviously, with uh, the wave of Omicron and the need for us to accelerate the pace with the third COVID shots that became necessary to protect against uh, Omicron. And many have stepped up to the plate in that regard. And in that context, we didn't take advantage of trying to combine the flu shot and the COVID shot that we uh, now know we can administer at the same time. So a lot of things happened all together that made it so that I, we, we didn't vaccinate as many people against the flu as, as we could have or should have. And now do you think that Omicron in, in a very weird and twisted way may have helped a little bit because with that new variant of concern, uh, you know, people did act pretty quickly and they started wearing masks again. So do you think well, that, it, that helped? Yeah. Well, absolutely. Absolutely. I think what happened is that the uh, measures to reduce the transmission of respiratory viruses were maintained in a more intense way for longer, and that helped us reduce transmission of the flu. So uh, Omicron, for, for those who weren't vaccinated against the flu, but that followed Omicron rules, they still avoided, in large part, getting infected with influenza virus. Which speaks a lot for mask wearing, does it not? Well, I think one thing we will have learned from the COVID pandemic is how to behave in a more healthy 
manner. You stay home okay. if you're sick. You wash your hands more. Indoors in the winter, you try not to congregate in too large numbers for too long. And mask wearing is really something that is going to be part of our new normal, I think, especially in the winter. And as we, as we um, sort of see an increase in the number of transmissions of respiratory viruses, perhaps next year, we're going to start saying, without having any mandates, without forcing anyone, we're going to say, you know what, why don't you just start wearing a mask like you used to for the pandemic, especially if you're indoors with lots of people. You don't have to do it all the time, but, but it would be a good idea. And I think that'll, that'll become more comfortable. And that plus increasing vaccination rates is going to really be a key to limiting the impact of uh, respiratory viruses in society going forward. You know, I'm still seeing a lot of people uh, wearing masks, and I, and I do like the fact that now it this seems like it might take hold. Is that people who are flying, um, you know, are wearing having to wear a mask on the plane, which is nice, and also in the airports. But why is getting a flu shot during the COVID nineteen pandemic so important? A few reasons is that if you get influenza, it can be confused with COVID and it may take away precious public health resources, healthcare resources into trying to evaluate more people than we need to. So if you get flu shots, there's less flu. Second, if you get influenza, it reduces your general immune response, makes you more susceptible to COVID and perhaps more susceptible to serious COVID. If you get co-infected with influenza and COVID, that may be a particularly severe disease. And the way to uh, reduce that is to be vaccinated for both, including being vaccinated for influenza. And so you do recommend that people get the flu vaccine at the same time as the COVID vaccine or booster? Well, right now in most provinces, unfortunately, the COVID vaccination infrastructure is distinct from the vaccination infrastructure for other things like influenza. Mm -hmm. If we could give them both at the same time, it's a very nice study done in the United Kingdom at the beginning of flu season this uh, this uh, past fall that showed that uh, if you give both at the same time, they both remain effective. There are no new or added side effects. Whichever flu shot and whichever COVID shot happens to be given. So you can give them at the same time. And I think going forward, in the fall, what we can expect is a fourth COVID shot that will be adapted to the variants that are around. And this, this will come around at the time when we will be eligible to receive our influenza vaccinations. So I'm very hopeful public health authorities, healthcare providers, and, and everyone will think of how we can give both shots at the same time to be more efficient, to vaccinate more people, and to reduce the spread of all respiratory viruses in the community, particularly COVID, as it will be by then, and still around, and influenza, which again, will still be around as it has been for over 100 years. Now, now, so many people, I've heard so many people over the years say that they won't get the flu vaccine, A, because they've never had the flu, number one reason, and number two reason is because they had the flu shot once and they got the flu. Is there any truth to that? Well, influenza vaccination is about 50% effective. So we know that many people will get vaccinated and will still get the flu. However, they will get a less severe form of the flu than they would have if they had not been vaccinated. And that's pretty much the same thing as we've now learned with the COVID shots. 
they prevent severe disease more effectively than they prevent all disease. So that issue is clear that it happens, but you were still good in terms of getting getting the flu um, getting the flu shot. In terms of you never got the flu, well, maybe you did and you got a mild case, or maybe you've been lucky up until now. But especially as you get older, influenza can lead to hospitalization and death at a lesser rate than COVID-19, but certainly at a rate that we can measure. It's a safe vaccine. It's an effective vaccine. It's one that, to my mind, everyone needs to reduce the presence of influenza in the overall uh, community, and uh, everyone should consider getting it. You know, some people actually say that they got the flu shot and then that night they got the flu, so they were, that they were getting the flu from the flu shot. Is well, that mm, true? Well, there are minor <laughs> You've not heard that before? <laughs> Well, you know, I, you know, there's everyone's, oh, you know, I don't need, I'm invincible. I've heard that. I don't need flu shots. I'm invincible. Well, you know what? I wish I was invincible. Uh, give me some of what you got. But you know what? It, it, if there are aches and pains associated with all vaccinations, they're short-term, they're temporary. People who are concerned about that, we recommend that they take uh, ibuprofen, acetaminophen, something, even before they get the, the shot. And, and uh, they'll get better. I've not heard of people, um, you know, really uh, get it is not possible to get the yeah. flu from the flu shot. That's not a, a medical possibility. So uh, so I would reassure us all on that count. And why isn't a medical is it not a medical possibility? Because we're not in fact, we're not injecting re- virus that can reproduce in your body to cause an infection. So exactly. yeah, you need the virus it, that it's intact. You need the intact virus. It's the same as you can't get COVID from a COVID shot. It's spike protein that you're getting. So it's pretty much the same thing with the influenza virus. Exactly. And I mean, you know, it's it's just so hard to talk a dog off a meat wagon sometimes when um, people <laughs> will say. <laughs> that you, know, they, um... you know, one thing, it was, it was recently, uh, you know, the, uh, the, uh, an important anniversary for polio. Uh, vaccination. And people say, well, how come we don't see polio anymore? Because we've vaccinated so effectively against it. And and I think exactly. that many, yeah, so so this is where we need to go. We, we've not emphasized in practice the availability of a number of vaccines for adults, vaccines for shingles, vaccines for pneumonia. We've sort of offered it and people have said, well, I want to think about it and you don't pursue it. I think historically we have now uh, have have uh, generations of evidence in terms of the efficacy of uh, of vaccines that they are they are changing the face of infectious diseases uh, in places where universal vaccination is in place and I think we're gonna we're gonna get there we're gonna get there I think with influenza I feel that that this coming winter we're going to this next season you know as we get to the fall of this year we're gonna get through um, the the pandemic restrictions of COVID by and large, we're going to have a gentle summer. And then at the end of the summer, we're going to say it's getting colder. Respiratory viruses are coming back. COVID is still around. You're going to need a fourth shot. As long as you're getting a COVID shot, here's the other things you could protect yourself against. And you know what? It's going to be a one-stop shop. And I'm really hopeful that that will be the impetus for us to, to get to the levels of influenza vaccination that we need, that, that we should have. Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. Dr. Brian Conway, infectious disease specialist, thank you so much 
for your information on this really important subject in a you, COVID pandemic. And let me, let, me, let me slip in one, one last thing. The numbers of, of cases of influenza is going down a little bit. However, every year there's another wave that happens coming in March. So if you didn't get your flu shot yet, there's still time. Excellent. Great advice. Thank you so much. Well, we'll get you back in March for sure to talk about uh, what's going to be, what happens at that time. Look forward to it. Well, this is on the eve of Valentine's Day and many, many couples are going to express their love for one another or or maybe not. Uh, Perhaps you've broken up with somebody or somebody has broken up with you and broken your heart. Well, have you ever heard of broken heart syndrome? It's a thing. And joining me on the line to talk about this is Dr. June Hall. She's a speaker, syndicated advice columnist. She's a TEDx speaker as well. And she also has the APT Accentuating Positive Thinking Program, where she facilitates workshops and offers presentations to fashion a positive atmosphere. And you definitely need a positive atmosphere if you have a broken heart. Good evening, Dr. Hall. Hi, good evening. Dr. June, I should say. Thank you so much for having Um, me. Well, thank you for joining me on this extremely important subject. There's probably a lot of people out there who are brokenhearted in one way or another. It may be unrequited love. It may be something else. Uh, so there is this phenomenon known as broken heart syndrome. And I know you've spoken about this before in other media. Can you tell the listeners what broken heart syndrome is? Broken heart syndrome is actually when there are connections between two people. It can even be, you know, um, a friendship. Sometimes people have it with a pet. But it's typically between two adults who have a relationship such as marriage, and then one spouse passes away, and the other one has a difficult time moving on because they are brokenhearted by that loss of the loved one. And and so this is, you know, people actually feel physical pain when they are brokenhearted or when, they, when they've lost someone, as you say, whether it be in life or in death, when they're grieving or whether they're in a relationship, an intimate relationship. And they, I mean, I, I counsel people who have broken up with somebody or somebody has broken up with them. And I mean, they are devastated. They have uh, nausea, heart palpitations, they can't sleep, they can't see the future, they can't see life without this person. And they're, they're constantly obsessing and thinking, you know, should I reach out? Should I text? Um, you know, what, what are some of the other physical symptoms that people feel with broken heart syndrome? And why is that? People actually have gone to the hospital, to the doctor, thinking that they're having a heart attack because they are really having that physical heart palpitation. The stress level goes up, their high, their pressure goes up, they have high blood pressure. So all of these physical ailments actually happen. And they think that, oh my goodness, what's happening to my body? But it's actually a reaction to the heartbroken syndrome that you are you're actually suffering from. So a lot of people, they go to the doctor and they don't realize that 
many people don't realize it, it is something physical that can happen to you, and it is a health problem. And you do have to find a way to reduce your blood pressure. You do have to find a way to treat your heart, to keep it healthy. And these are things that are necessary when you are feeling like you can't move forward after a broken heart. And so real chemical reactions happen in the body, like the release of cortisol. This is a very stressful situation for people when they have lost somebody or whether um, their the love is unrequited. And we bring it to, um, you know, the attention of people around Valentine's Day because this is such a time when people express their love. There's There's cards exchanged and beautiful dinners and chocolates and sexy lingerie, the whole thing. Uh, Many people break up just before Valentine's Day, making the heartbreak just that much worse, um, if you will. So if people are experiencing the stress, release of cortisol, their uh, neurotransmitters are altered, their adrenaline is scourging through their blood vessels, um, what, and and even they experience chest pain, they think they, you know, need to see a doctor, Uh, their blood pressure might be up. What do you recommend for people who are experiencing these symptoms? Well, they actually should see a doctor. That is true because when your blood pressure is up and when you have those heart palpitations, you need to have medical treatment. That is true. However, what you need to do is realize, and I'm going to just, well, I just want to mention this about Valentine's Day, and I say this frequently. When you're looking at a couple who feels like they're so in love and they're out to dinner and just all this and that and the other for Valentine's Day, a lot of times it's just Valentine's Day. You don't really know how their relationship (laughs) is. So don't get so caught up in that one day. That's that's one thing I just like to share about that. However, you need to love yourself, (laughs) first of all, and realize that if this person does not love you, if this person has broken up with you, if that person has moved on, they are no longer having any issues in thinking about you. So consider yourself. Why are you giving that other person so much of your time and so much of your health? What is it that you need to do to continue to move on and realize that you deserve better, something better, and you deserve true love. So you need to find that self-love, start taking care of yourself physically, do things that will strengthen you emotionally, such as helping others, such as attaching yourself to a project that you actually do love, something else that you do love that you can do, and stop finding yourself so invested in someone who's not invested in you. That is just such a great point. A couple of great points there that, you know, Valentine's Day can be about appearances for a lot of people. Some people feel obliged uh, to create this, you know, beautiful, romantic, Mm -hmm. you know, better than perfect picture. And that may not be the case necessarily. And of course, we don't want to compare ourselves to others because that ends up with comparable suffering. I mean, you can just never compare yourself to anybody else. Life is long. Life is short. Um, You know, and, and sometimes people have you know, uh, suffer at different times during their life, but nobody goes unscathed. Everybody has challenges in this lifetime. Uh, you know, a lot of people will, you, you make the other great point you made, I, I wanted to say was that people, honestly, they, they don't have that self-care. They've given themselves up to somebody else. It's often a very unhealthy relationship that they're in. They are stressed. They may have, you know, very uh, an, an imbalance of power, a very unhealthy imbalance of power. And, and I find some of my patients, what they need help with is the rumination. 
they can't get the person out of their head. They're obsessing. They're thinking about the person all the time. They want to reach out. They may reach out. What's your recommendation on whether they should reach out to somebody who has broken up with them, who has made it clear that they no longer want them in their life, um, but this person just, you know, has, is, has that undying hope? They should definitely not reach out and should not even attempt to reunite with that person. Here's the deal. When you have your own self-love, when you feel good about yourself, then you will attract somebody who also feels good about you. But as long as you are pining over uh, someone who does not care about you, that person is going to care about you even less because they're going to feel like, oh, my gosh, you don't even feel like you're good enough for yourself. Why should I feel that you're good enough for us to reunite? So definitely move away from that person. Build your own self-esteem. Realize once you are stronger and you know that you are worth it, then you will find a person who also believes you are worth it. Uh, that is so true. That is just such great advice. And, and, you know, I find with my clients, and I'm sure you find with yours, that, you know, in time, I, I often say to them a year from now, you'll look back and you'll say, I'm so glad I went through that because they learned so much about themselves. They were, most of my clients are in a very stressful time of their lives. They're making all sorts of unhealthy choices. They're doing too much. They don't have any limits or healthy boundaries. They're, a lot of them are people pleasers. What do you see in your clinical practice? Well, typically I work with couples who are trying to actually work it out. And so I don't typically work with too many individuals who have suffered a, a breakup. My husband does call me the breakup coach because <laughs> I encourage people <laughs> to move on if there's someone in their life that does not care about them. <laughs> I do see that it is difficult for them to move on. So I, and even when I, like I said, I do a lot of couples um, counseling and, and, and coaching. And what I do tell them is to definitely find unique experiences for yourself, find your own hobby. It doesn't have to be, everything does not have to be with your significant other. And when you find that you each have something that you enjoy for yourself, it makes you stronger. As you said, you get to know yourself even better and it builds a relationship because now you can connect, you can even share your ideas with each other without necessarily always being together. And I think that that's a problem that couples think that they have to be together 24-7. They have to do everything together. You can have separate interests, and that makes you stronger individually, and therefore that will make you stronger as a couple. MoveOn.com. I, I love it. We've got a new expression from the breakup coach. <laughs> um, <laughs> Dr. June, thank you so much for joining me on the program tonight. What's the best way for people to get in touch with you and to view your fabulous TEDx talk? They can go to my website, drjunehall.com, drjunehall.com. My TEDx is there, my contact information, and I would love to help you if you need anything. Thank you so much. Until the next time we chat, uh, enjoy, uh, <laughs> enjoy the day. You take care. You too. Thank you. Hopefully there's not too many broken hearts out there. But, um, you know, one thing that I often warn people about because I see it so often in my clinical practice is something called 
love bombing. It's one of the most scariest things that can happen to you when you are dating or even when you are in a relationship early on. Uh, it's, it's an extremely manipulative tactic that is used by narcissists who often can be abusers uh, or also sociopaths as well, con artists. But it's really, really hard to detect and suss out that it's actually happening. But love bombing is characterized by excessive attention, admiration, affection. And the goal is to make the person who is on the receiving end of all of this adoration feel dependent and obligated to that person. And as the recipient of it, love bombing feels really good because of the boost of dopamine. There's release of neurotransmitters, the endorphins. And so you feel good all over. Oftentimes I hear patients say it is too good to be true. And to be honest with you, it is. If you feel it's too good to be true, it's time to take a second look because you feel really special, needed, loved, really worthy, really valuable. And it's just that person that you've been waiting for, for your entire life, it seems. And these are all the components that contribute to and increase a person's self-esteem. Oftentimes, the person who is love bombing has low self-esteem. And I actually just read recently that oftentimes they have had a father missing from their lifetime. So I often think, you know, when people get into a relationship, it's important to know the their family of origin understand the relationships that they have had with their family that's more important and especially their parents that's more important than what their relationships were like with exes but you know in a relationship where you're being love bombed everything seems perfect and it's 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 too perfect and you know you think you've found someone who's not only into you but they also shower with you with gifts and, and love, and they tell you how amazing you are, how gorgeous you are. And it's all that validation and affirmation, especially if you've had any uh, issues in your lifetime and your family of origin in, in particular. Um, but, you know, we all like to be validated and affirmed every now and again. Um, but it seems like you've been waiting for it, and here it is. And it's just an incredible feeling initially because of that release of that dopamine and those endorphins, those happy hormones. But later on, your relationship may turn into something that you don't even recognize. And that's when the abuse begins. And and it's like gaslighting. Quite often they, they you know, make, make things up. They lie. Oftentimes people who love bomb will cry at the beginning of a relationship because they want you to know just how vulnerable they are. Um, and, and you just think this is amazing, especially if it's a guy who's crying because, you know, guys typically don't cry, especially after a week in a relationship where you have been love bombed. But, you know, this happens on dating sites. This happens, you know, all over. And so it's just something that I really want to warn you about. And, and what happens is the abuse begins. It's very subtle. It's very slow. And then um, all of a sudden you realize you, you feel like you're going crazy. And it's, and it's just awful. And what, you, what everybody wants to do is they have this hope that they go back to the way the relationship was at the beginning. But I'm here to tell you that that relationship was fake. You will never, ever be able to go back to what it was like in the beginning. Because as I mentioned at the beginning of this segment, this is a manipulative tactic. tactic and it is horrifying. And, and so there are so many warning signs, but mostly it is, is it's somebody who 
is focused on you. They, it's, it's largely an unconscious behavior on their part, but it's really about getting the other person and it's actually sport for them. And, and so they actually size you up and they know what it is that is going to make you just be lured in. That's what they're doing. They are luring you in. And oftentimes the recipient of these love bombs, they may have repeated relationships where they have been love bombed. So it's something that you need to look at yourself. If this has happened to you, you need to look at yourself and understand why is this something that is happening to me? And we'll probably cover that in an upcoming show. But for right now, uh, it's a wrap on Valentine's Day. Eve, I hope you have a wonderful day tomorrow. And you know what? Romance is in the air. So so go for it, you know, and, and enjoy yourselves. Thanks for listening to the Sunday Night Health Show podcast. You can subscribe, rate, or review on your favorite podcast app. And if you've got a question about your health, the nurse is always in. So email Email me, nursetalk at hotmail.com, and I just might answer your question anonymously, of course, on next week's show. For now, have a happy and healthy week.